Hi, I'm Lisa. Hi, I'm Andy. Hi, I'm Letty. And you're listening to Taxpayers Australia's news and insights podcast, Tax Wrap. Hello, everyone, and welcome. You're listening to Tax Wrap, episode 49 this week. My name is Nathan, and we're joined by Lisa and Andy, and a very special guest. This morning, we're joined by Mark Pizzicala. Now, Mark is a member on the Board of Taxation, and he's also got a very esteemed history within the tax industry. He's got a PhD from Monash University, a Master of Taxation from the University of Melbourne, and a Bachelor of Business from RMIT. Welcome, Mark. Now, Andy, take it away with the first question, please. You're a member on the Board of Taxation. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about what your your current role is? Sure. Well, look, before I do that, Andy, maybe just a little bit about the Board um, for your members to to recognise that it's a non-statutory body. And essentially what it's, what it's there for is that it's charged uh, with contributing a business and broader community perspective in terms of uh, designing the tax system and, and the operation of the tax system. Um, and the board came to be uh, following a, the Ralph review back, uh, back in the, the, the late 90s, early 2000s, uh, where it was found that uh, there needed to be a body uh, to sort of represent broader community and business interests uh, and bring those to the attention of the government where, where relevant. In terms of my positioning on the board, I guess I've been there since uh, January, uh, and the composition of the board is brand new. Uh, there's only one member of the board who was there from the from the previous board, and that's uh, uh, John Emerson. Um, but apart from that, all of the the members are new, uh, and as a result of that, you know, there's been a repositioning of the board's functions and operations and the way it goes about um, the way it reviews the tax system. Mark, you were just saying to us that um, there are um, there are new board members on the Board of Taxation. Um, what's, who are they and what sort of expertise do they bring to, to the table there, Mark? No, look, that's a good point, Andy. So um, um, the board's made up of uh, a combination of uh, people from the private sector and also some ex-officio members. So there are eight members from the private sector. Maybe I'll just give you a brief description of who they are. So Michael Andrew was recently appointed as, um, as the chair of the Board of Taxation. Um, Michael uh, was previously the global head of KPMG um, and has significant you know, experience in, in taxation re- regimes uh, around the world. John Emerson is the deputy chair. Um, he's from Herbert Smith Freehills and, and has a real... Uh, bent uh, and specialisation in uh, not only tax but particularly not for profits and, and charities. Uh, myself, Andy, you know, coming at it from the SME perspective that we've discussed previously. Um, Karen Payne is a partner with Minter Ellison and, and has significant uh, experience in corporate uh, and international tax and she's taken a real lead on the anti-hybrid rules which are being discussed at the moment. Neville, Neville Mitchell is president of the G100 and CFO at Cochlear Limited, um, and Neville has you know significant business experiences you could appreciate, and and so, and so brings that brings that perspective to the table uh, when we have discussions around tax. Peggy Lau Flux, um, previously a corporate banker and and significant experience um, uh, uh, in Hong Kong, uh, as well as um, uh, as well as uh, corporate banking are key areas. Craig Yexley is a tax partner with KPMG in Perth and significant experience, particularly in resources taxation. Uh, and Anne-Marie Wolfe is the Asia-Pacific head of uh, Rio Tinto and uh, of tax at Rio Tinto and responsible for all matters in Australia and broader Asia-Pacific r- regions with Rio. So they're, they're the members. And so as you can see, um, there's, there's a, a wide variety of experience with uh, different, differing levels of 
in-depth experience in different areas and so together it's proved to be I must say quite an enjoyable experience and uh, and very fruitful when we do get together to, to discuss the issues on the table. Um, there are also three ex-officio members who are the Secretary to the uh, Australian Treasury being uh, Mr John Fraser, there's also the Commissioner of Taxation Mr uh, uh, Chris Jordan uh, and then also there is Peter Quiggan who's the first parliamentary council so again um, again, they bring to bear all of their experiences and, and as a board, I must say, it's functioned extremely well uh, since I've been on it. I guess one of the things, Mark, is it does bring you know, to, uh, with it uh, new expertise and your focus, Mark, is on private businesses. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about um, sort of your, your role in that? And Sure. So essentially, Andy, um, my role in the SME sector is is a number of things. Firstly, to to bring to the attention of the board, I guess, uh, uh, concerns of the SME sector in terms of the functioning of the tax system, whether it be from a compliance or, or strategic perspective. Uh, part of that process um, has led me to lead a number of consultative committees around the country uh, in most states, uh, listening to the concerns of uh, SME business owners, peak industry bodies, uh, uh, other community organisations and distilling those issues and bringing them to the attention of the board and working out ways in which uh, you know the SME sector can operate in an efficient way under under the Australian tax system. So Mark when you um, get those um, decide on what those uh, feedback and things like that is where do you feed that into where does the board actually feed back into the recommendations? Sure well um, a number of different ways. Uh, over the last six months, that's been predominantly through the former Small Business Minister, uh, Mr Bruce Bilson. So I mentioned earlier that um, that the focus of the board has changed slightly in terms of the, the new composition. And I guess previously what used to happen is uh, that the board used to look at um, uh, the functioning of the tax system in terms of uh, specific issues, whether it be the operation of Division 7A, you know, lo private company loans, whether it be uh, trusts, whether it be specific issues. Um, these days, I guess, what we're currently doing is operating more on a real-time basis. Um, and what I mean by that is that we're contributing more at a, at a policy uh, mm -hmm. level, providing our independent uh, views in relation to that. and. By real time, what I mean is that you know, um, as issues come up uh, in the small businesses, small minister's office, I should say, um, you know, we are able to give uh, independent advice in relation to issues that they're currently considering. So, and certainly that was part of the process, uh, you know, leading up to this year's budget, for example. So, so in that regard, Mark, is there? less papers being produced and you're dealing a lot more directly with with the government is that, is that yeah the that's case? spot on Andy so whereas in the past there in the past uh, there were in-depth technical reviews being conducted uh, what we're hoping is that by getting involved in the process at an earlier stage uh, we can identify issues quicker more real time and uh, provide our input at an earlier stage uh, I think that's a great way of uh, doing things Mark because um, you know our observation these days is that um, things such as you know like uber or technology moves at such a rapid rate and so to make it contemporaneous you actually have to um you know advise governments you know at that sort of that speed you can't sort of just wait for a paper to come out and uh, and then by then it might be a little bit too late that's right so things are moving pretty quickly at this stage that's true 
Yeah, so what do you see, Mark, as some of the, um, the challenges for Australia's tax system going forward? We've got a very complex system, as most people would know, 4,000 pages almost, four volumes. So how, how, what, what do you think, what are some of the challenges that we do face as a, as a nation there, Mark? Sure. Well, I think, uh, look, there's a number of challenges that we face as a country uh, in terms of our tax system. So the ones that we've identified, um, and I'm sure others may have as well, uh, we've categorised as being fiscal challenges, being uh, the previous release of the intergenerational report. Um, um, you know, where people born today are going to live a, a significant amount of time longer than, the, than us. Um, and how how's the tax system going to cope with that? Um, there's also slower growth in a in a fiscal in a fiscal uh, context. There's globalisation issues in terms of mobility of capital and labour, and drive for efficiencies in in that context. Uh, you mentioned before Uber um, and Google, so definitely the digital economy is something that really needs to be focused on and, and it's disrupt, disrupting all sorts of business models at the moment. So in a retail context, we've got Amazon and other online retailers. Uh, the tax industry has Uber, video, cable has Netflix, music has Spotify, phone directories has Google. I can't remember the last time I saw a phone directory. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, travel agents are also under threat because people are booking online <laughs> and doing things themselves. So um, th there's that going on. There's the changing industry mix in terms of the knowledge economy, manu manufacturing, disappearing, services uh, rising more and more, uh, the services sector, and also the rise of Asia and BRICS being Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa, um, all those market opportunities, both inbound and outbound. So there's a there's certainly a lot going on in the supply chain. So, so Mark, in terms of the Australian tax system itself, I mean, obviously we talked about how complex it is. How does it compare to, to other jurisdictions in your experience, Mark? So the reasons, look, the reasons for the complexity, there's, there's a number of those. Um, one reason, for example, is the prevalence of tax concessions, which are aimed at assisting particular groups, whether it be the SME sector or whether it be particular other sectors of the economy, whether it's agriculture, uh, export, etc. But what that means when you provide a tax concession is that it's another thing that you need to think about when you're providing tax advice. And so therefore it adds to the mix of considerations that, that, that you need to look at. Um, so as such, yes, tax concessions are good, but um, depending on the number and the variety and the type, uh, it, it takes time to, to consider properly before giving advice. Another reason is the regular patching of the law. So, so and that takes you know, many forms in terms of fixing either narrow problems uh, or providing certainty to taxpayers, but without considering fully, if you do fix or patch a particular part of the law, what does it mean for other parts of the law? And that sometimes brings with it other complexities. And I think the important one, <clears throat> and I recognised this many years ago when I lived in New Zealand for, for about a couple of years, and, and that is that in Australia we tend to be uh, an overly risk-averse um, we take an overly risk-averse attitude to, to policy and administration whereby we draft significant complex rules to, uh, to implement you know, a particular idea uh, and because we're trying to cover off every single loophole that we possibly can. And so in a way, we're drafting legislation for the 5% of people that are trying to avoid you know, whatever it is we're implementing, mm. uh, and we're not legislating necessarily for the 95% of the taxpayers that are doing the right thing. So I think that's something that needs to be to be looked at. 
Mm. So it's basically evolution is the reason that we've got so much complexity in our tax system in Denmark? Well, yeah, yes, it's, it's a case of... Um, so if you have a look at some aspects of the New Zealand regime, they, particularly if you were to compare FBT regimes, you know, New Zealand doesn't necessarily go after every single dollar that it can. Mm. I think if you look at our FBT regime, it is, you know, for a regime that started out to, uh, you know... Um, it was really a salary packaging regime, but then it got into Christmas parties and it got into taxi fares and it got into all sorts of things which perhaps wasn't originally envisaged necessarily yes. when, when the provisions were first introduced. But, mm. but it's become a, uh, an industry in itself. Yes, definitely. Uh, definitely. And that is something we need to be careful about, that uh, whatever other new concessions or ideas or um, uh, provisions that we introduce, we do need to, I believe, make sure that it doesn't become another industry in itself. I understand. Mm. Well, Mark, or Dr. Pizzicala, maybe, is more appropriate. Yep, you've, right. you've got your PhD yep. um, in tax, and you've concentrated that um, on a uh, better tax regime for small business. So what have you found um, regarding your research when you uh, did your PhD? Sure. Well, look, I think one of the, the most important findings was, um, and it was neglected at the time by, by a number of people, but... Um, if you look at the the life cycle of, of an SME, what I and if you look at the concessions which are provided to SMEs, um, what I found was that most concessions were provided at the end of the life cycle of an F of an SME. Um, so if you have a look at the tax expenditure statements dating back to 2011, 12 or thereabouts, you'll find that you know um, if there's 112 billion dollars worth of concessions, there's only about two billion dollars directed towards the SME sector. And then half of that was in relation to the small business CGT concessions. So in my view, there certainly wasn't enough being done in terms of providing concessions at the early stages of an SME's life cycle, particularly entrepreneurs, startups, that sort of thing. Uh, and so it is, in that context, it is uh, encouraging that the Turnbull government is looking at that and considering, you know, uh, those con those things as part of the innovation, uh, the new innovation approach that it has. So, Mark, with, with part of your, your research there as well, I mean, what do you see as part of uh, some of the biggest issues facing small businesses now in terms of, is it tax, is it uh, compliance? Um, what are your thoughts there, Mark? Yeah, sure. Well, I think, um, look, there's a, there's a number of Look, it's always. I think we should start off by saying that it's very courageous to start out and and have a small business. Um, you know, and I think that's also something that's not always appreciated. You can go to work as an employee and, and take a salary home, but if you start a small business, you don't have any money. You're, you you know, you're you're trying to start something from from fresh, or you've purchased a business. In which case, you've had to take out a loan. You may have a mortgage. Uh, there'll be personal guarantees in place. So I think the first thing is to recognise that. Um, it is a courageous decision to, to, to have a small business. Once you're in it, of course, you find that it's it's not easy. Um, and, you know, some of the things that you find uh, are not always tax-related. And as you've pointed out, so it, it will relate to uh, staffing. Uh, it'll relate to, you know, interacting with your bank. It'll relate to interacting with your suppliers. Um, um, markets that you're looking at, larger players are looking at. And so what are the implications there? So I think there's a... Look, there's a whole raft of, of things. If we come back to to tax itself, um, certainly I think uh, as a nation we need to review and have a look at the current concessions and let's just see, well, are they really 
the concessions that we need? Is there something else we can do? Are there other structures that maybe should be in play? Uh, and I, you know, I think the government is looking at all these things as part of you know the green paper process. Sure. Yeah. And in in your opinion, Mark, I mean, do you, what are your clients saying about the current small business? measures that were introduced as part of the budget so was it positive negative or is there is there some sort of themes coming out of those measures mark sure well i think um the small business measures um which were introduced in the budget were probably some of the you know most um advantageous things that we've seen for quite some time for for small business you know particularly the twenty thousand dollar write-off which is you know quite a a high amount i i think in the overall context of things and um It'll be interesting to see over time the impact that that has on small business. Uh, but certainly, my feedback is that you know all of the measures that were introduced were, were very well received. Mm. And with the um, the two million dollar turnover test, do you think that's sort of the right size for a small business mark? Is it is it a little bit mm. low or you know? Okay, so the two million dollar test um, is a real contentious issue. Uh, you know, a lot's been written and said about it, and. Uh, um, some people are happy for it to go to three, others want five. The, the reality is I think there's only, by going from two mil to uh, five mil uh, in terms of a gross turnover test, you capture another 72,000 uh, businesses. Not at all. Um, uh, but having said that, it, it, you know, having said that, it is important because it, it, it brings more businesses into the, into the net. and. The other thing, you can't talk about gross turnover without also talking about the maximum net asset value test, yes. uh, you know, uh, because they sort of go hand in hand, um, uh, which currently sits at $6 million. And, you know, there's, you know, should that be increased as well? I mean, it's incredibly uh, amazing how many businesses, when they do sell, have a maximum net asset value of, you know, something just shy of six mil <laughs> so therefore if you well managed, well managed. so if it's if it's maybe uh, 10 mil yeah. does that mean that you know that that idea sort of becomes less you know you're sort of cutting out the um uh you know just making it more more difficult for those sorts of things to occur yeah it is a difficult question there Mark, yeah. because you know several years ago it was five and now it's increased to six so mm. so you know how long is the piece of string i guess mm. and and it's a good question that you raised before in terms of is that uh is, is it appropriate so you know uh there are many other ways in which you can do this for example you can adopt the the corporation's law approach where you might have a you know uh, two tests out of three. You know, yeah, look yes. at look at mm. revenue. Mm. Look at mm. turn. Uh, sorry, look at revenue. Look at assets. Look at uh, number of employees, and mm. you know, depending on the outcome there. Mm. And now also that means you've got some alignment. I think it's important to have consistency. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's something probably that's lacking. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, <clears throat> the tax white paper, Mark. Um, what are your thoughts on that for for small business? I think one of the things that came up in that that white paper was. Uh, some mention of a potential S corp type structure that which they typically adopt in the US. Do you, do you have any thoughts on sort of um, you know that that type of structure and would it be useful for Australian businesses? We have a number of different ranges of structures that we can choose these days. Would, would something like an S corp pro- provide that simplicity for small business that we're looking for? Okay, so so as I said earlier, if you introduce another structure, it means that you have to think about uh, Let's say, let's hypothetically say an S corporation was introduced or something like an S corporation. It, it means that you need to think about that structure in conjunction with 
the already numerous structures that we have. So it's another layer of uh, consideration slash complexity that you introduce into the system. Does that outweigh uh, compliance costs and other administrative burdens that, that SMEs will have? I think that's a question that needs to be asked. Um, whether if it's concluded that an S Corp type entity should be introduced, then uh, discussion needs to be around. Um, you can look at the US model, but also around you know whether that can be adapted to an Australian yeah. context. Yeah, it is very very complex, Mark. Mm. In terms of because we have so much choice, it does mm. it does add that further uh, layer to consider when when you are choosing a business structure. So. Yeah, it's always a matter of um, weighing the, the pros and the cons in terms of complexity. So if we're talking about red tape, what sort of red tape do you think we need to um, reduce for small business, Mark? Where can they get the best bang for their buck so they can concentrate on building their business? Well, I guess as I travelled around the country, one, you know, if I was to, you know, uh, if I was to think about, you know, the comments made to me um, by small business owners and so forth, Certainly, you know, payroll tax is a big one. Mm -hmm. uh, as a, I don't know if I'm answering the question here, but certainly as a inhibitor to business growth, mm -hmm. I have met yeah. business owners that uh, consciously uh, do not employ uh, more people, even though it means they could get more revenue, mm -hmm. uh, because it would tip them over the relevant mm -hmm. payroll tax threshold in their state. Um, and these thresholds vary from states to states, mm -hmm. as do the various definitions that accompany the various payroll tax acts. So um, it, it, it would be uh, um, a good, I don't know if it's an aspiration or a, <laughs> <laughs> but certainly if we could get, if we could align, uh, you know, uh, and harmonise uh, the various payroll tax acts, I think from an SME perspective, that would be terrific. Mm -hmm. That's excellent. And in terms of technology markup, we mentioned about, you know, the Ubers and, you know, yep. some of the disruptive technologies. How do you see technology playing uh, a role in sort of helping small business down the path, Mark? I know we're moving towards standard business reporting. Is there? Mm. Uh, what are your thoughts there with with the impact of technology, particularly now that we're supposed to be more innovative? Mm. Well, you know, uh, I think you need to get on board with technology, uh, otherwise uh, you become a dinosaur. So, and small business is no different. But I, you know, I think what I'm finding with uh, new startups uh, is that, you know, they, they tend to be all over the technology side of things, more so than established uh, firms. Um, and so therefore, it's not so difficult for them to to understand how the technology piece works. Uh, but certainly, the, the tax office is doing everything it can from what I can see in terms of making sure that there's real-time information and, and trying to get taxpayers on board in terms of, mm. you know, whether it's doing the... Um, uh, tax returns online or, you know, um, the, the BAS statements and inc um, instalment activity statements, etc. So, look, I think it's, um, I think you can't be in business these days without looking at your business model and trying to work out how you can take advantage of technology because if you don't, someone else will and you'll be left behind. That wraps up Tax Wrap Podcast Episode 49. Please join us next week for Episode 50 as we draw closer to the yearly milestone of Episode 52. Thanks for joining us.